Our guest today is Brian Reynolds. He's at Brian Reynolds Runner on Instagram. And it's absolutely an unbelievable podcast. And I'm so excited that we were able to record this. So just to give you a little information, a little preview, uh, Brian's a double amputee distance runner. He's a former marathon world record holder for below the knee bilateral amputee. Um, he also is a triple body weight deadlifter. Um, and his goal right now for any of you that run marathons out there is a sub three hour marathon time right now. He's about a three Oh three and he should break that, uh, very, very soon. But again, just a super fascinating person. I'm so happy to be able to have interviewed him. He also is a manager at the sneaker factory in Basking Ridge. So a local business that does some great stuff with runners, but I'm excited for you guys to listen to this podcast. Just an unbelievable story. And I I can't wait to get some feedback on it. This is the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast, aimed at helping you live an active and healthy life in and around Somerset and Union County, New Jersey. This podcast is brought to you by Strive to Move, located in Warren and Berkeley Heights. Strive to Move helps active adults in New Jersey get back to doing what they love pain-free. So we are live with Brian Reynolds. How are you today, Brian? Doing pretty good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So... I took the opportunity this morning to do a quick Google search. And out of all of our guests so far, you have the most interesting results in our Google search. So I think the biggest thing for me to start with is why don't you tell us your, a little bit about your story and then I'll, I can go from there. Like, well, you know, where, where do you come from and, and what's your, what's the deal? Sure. So, um, I am 30 years old now and at the age of four, I contracted meningococcemia. Uh, it's a rare form of meningitis, so it was blood-based for me. Um, the medications that they put me on, vasopressors, uh, saves my life, but it takes takes the limbs because it brings all the blood back to your core. Um, as far as meningitis survivors go, I'm pretty lucky because it, it only resulted in a double amputation for me. A lot of people have all four limbs compromised or have terrible scarring throughout their body. Um, I was very lucky that I lived in Boston near uh, Children's Hospital there. Um, there, was a, there was a physician there that had seen it before, so he knew what to look for. Generally, meningitis is really hard to diagnose because it looks like the flu. You're achy, high fever, um, sore throat, all of the general flu-like symptoms. One of the distinguishing factors is with meningitis, they often present with purple rashes across their body. And we were just really lucky that there was a doctor there that knew what that was because a common phrase associated with, men, with meningitis is healthy at breakfast and dead by dinner. Hmm. That is how fast the disease moves. It can be extremely fatal if you don't catch it within those first few hours. Huh. So this was not a long drawn out process back. It happened re- quickly where they decided to put you on the meds, do the amputation. So I went to school on a Wednesday morning feeling not amazing, but not bad enough for my parents to keep me home. Right. And I was in preschool then, so half days. I think I came home at one o'clock, had a fever. And by that night, I was unconscious in the emergency room at Children's Hospital. Wow. I was in a medically induced coma for, I believe it was two weeks, in which they were trying everything they could to you know, save my life and my legs, but in the end, it resulted with a double amputation below the knee for me. What's your first memory as a as a kid of not being the same as everyone else? 
Um, my first memory as an amputee is when I woke up from the medically induced coma. Um, I knew right away that there was something wrong. The doctors had actually made casts that resembled what my legs would have been so that I wouldn't be shocked, but I knew that there was something that wasn't right. So my parents had to tell me right away instead of you know easing me into it like the doctors had hoped. Yeah. Um, other than that, growing up, I was in um, a small private school. So when I got sick, those kids were with me. And when I graduated from eighth grade, those same kids were with me. Right. I was kind of in my own little bubble. Right. A lot of those kids even went on to high school with me and some went on to college. Really? So I never really felt any different or I wasn't bullied. I didn't have any of those issues just because everybody had known me since I was four. Gotcha. And so um, we fast forward to, I guess, present day, but even coming up, I mean, were you an athlete growing up? Because your athletic career seems to have really taken off, which we'll get into. But did you play sports growing up? What? I did a lot of the local town stuff. I played baseball, basketball. Um, and through middle school and high school, I did horseback riding. I was not good at baseball and basketball. <laughs> right. Can't blame it on the legs. I just don't have <laughs> hand-eye coordination. All right. Um, Fair enough. But my parents started me in the gym when I was in high school. So I steadily developed into a gym rat, and by the time I was in college, I was actually competing in powerlifting. So for me, it was um, bench press and deadlift. Yep. In my last competition, I weighed, I think it was 131. I have it in here. It says 132, and you deadlifted 485. Is yes. That, is that, that true? That, that was right, yeah. So for context, for, I mean, someone with two legs, we always say three times body weight deadlift is like you are strong as hell if you can do three times body weight deadlift, mm -hmm. which, I mean, you were, you were over that. Yeah. Right. It was, a, it was a bit over. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's strong for anybody. Um, and so... Let's. I guess let's go into right now. You have and I, forgive me if I don't have the proper terms. You have. Are they called blades that you're wearing right now? Or running blades. Running blades. Yeah, it's the common phrase that everyone knows for amputee runners. Got it. And but when you were powerlifting, is that what you? What were you? What equipment did you have? So I was just using an everyday walking foot for that. Uh, the blades would compress too much and snap under that kind of weight. Got it. Um, which I had those problems anyways with walking feet. Right. Uh, I think. My final year of competing, I went through 17 feet, 17 pairs of feet, actually. Yeah, uh, it's interesting because, I mean, I guess your athletic career can only move really as fast as technology moves in that sense a little bit, right? Yeah, and I think that that's the main problem for amputees in general is that athletic componentry for our prosthetics is not covered by insurance. Got it. And... Because of that, it means that a lot of amputees don't have the opportunity to compete in sports at all. Or if they do compete in sports, they're very uncomfortable with what they're wearing. Right. You know, it'd be like if you tried to run a marathon in steel-tipped work boots. Right. It's not something that you'd really want to do. Right. Um, my running legs are extremely expensive. My prosthetist has quoted them for me at over 30000 a piece, <sighs> And I get new ones every 10 months. Wow. So when you think about developing countries or poorer areas of even the United States, it's just extremely hard for amputees to get the stuff that they need. Insurance only provides what's necessary for walking. So what do most people do that want to be like in that want to be competitive if if thirty thousand bucks every every ten months? Is, 
I will say that I probably go through them faster than most amputees do. I'm right. running a lot of miles. Right. Um, I'd say most amputees probably get somewhere in the three-year range out of the blades. But Got it. there's finally starting to be a lot of charities that help out mm-hmm. with providing that sort of equipment to amputees. Yeah. But they're not quite big enough yet to really help huge volumes of people. Got it. So it, it still is kind of an exclusive sphere. Right. And a lot of these charities have partnerships with just one prosthetic brand. So they can give you a running blade, but it might not be the one that's best for you. It's just all they can do. Got it. Now, um, it's interesting because I'm thinking about if I was competing in deadlifting, the last thing I, I wouldn't think like, oh, are my legs going to break? But I mean, for you, it's almost like as much, I would think as much as going up to the bar and wondering if I can lift the weight, you're like, is my equipment going to fail? Yeah, it, it, there was a lot of scary moments when I was deadlifting. I usually had double or triple spotters just in case they did break. Did um, that happen? Like in... It happened twice, but never in competition. Okay. It happened in the gym. I was going for 405 pounds for as many reps as I could. And yep. I, I think I was on like 18. Right. And the leg just snapped under me. Wow. Wow. Now... Versus someone in a deadlift, you know, mostly for the most part, it's a full body exercise, but we feel a lot of hamstrings and glutes. Now, someone, when you get fatigued in a deadlift situation, do you feel the same fatigue or is it different because of prosthetics? Um, I would say if I could go back and start powerlifting again, I'd probably be much better at it now than I was. I didn't train lower body at all. I just straight leg deadlift. Yep. It was 100% back. (laughs) Got it. Um, So my back would just be massively tired from it. Right. Um, Part of that was the prosthetics I was using. They just were not equipped for that. Part of it was just having weak legs, so I let my back do the work. Right. Um, I think if I went back now, I'd be much better at it because my legs are so much stronger. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting as I think about, for me, doing what we do here you know, doing assessments on people, I would assume that things would be different. The hips function a little different. The legs function, the quad, the hamstrings and glutes, you know, it's a, it's different levers, different leverage overall. So I guess there was other factors that we might not even consider that you would have to maybe deal with, right? Yeah. So the lack of ankle rotation was always a problem for me. We experimented with trying to put um, plates or wedges underneath my heels to help. But nothing was as good as just me kind of rolling as much as I could slash slightly stumbling. Right. Um, Which was probably the reason why squatting was a no-go because of the ankle stuff, right? Correct. I never could squat outside of using a Smith machine or some sort of assistive device. Right. Yeah. And it was never truly comfortable enough for me to really even bother with it. It's it's, it's interesting because that's, you know, are patients that have stiff ankles. I have stiff ankles and I'm a much better deadlifter than squatter just because squatting with stiff ankles is tough. And for you, obviously it exacerbates it even more. Mm-hmm. So then who, how do you go from becoming a triple bodyweight deadlifter to marathons? Um, it was, I was a bucket list item. I did it rather abruptly a few <laughs> years ago. I ran a 5k, thought it was fun and actually just ran a marathon the next weekend. You just, how did that go? It was terribly hard and painful, and I don't recommend it. Yeah, I have to imagine for anyone um, that has two able-bodied uh, limbs, it would be hard. Someone that yeah. had, uh, Were you running on the running blades at that point? Yeah, I had just gotten them. Got it. You want to test the new 
Test the new toys, huh? Yeah, test the new toys <laughs> of the marathon. What better way to break them in? <laughs> um, and that that was in 2014. Yeah. And I basically said, okay, I've checked off a bucket list item, and I didn't really think much about it after that. I went yep. back to lifting. Yeah. Um, and I still ran occasionally, but never, never any huge volume, never came anywhere close to even a 10K for a few years after that. Right. And then what happened? And then I think it was uh, the end of the summer in 2016. A few friends were fooling around at the gym. They were runners. I was there lifting. They wanted to see how fast they could go on the treadmill. That looks like fun. So I did it too. And I ran, I think it was a 448 mile. And that was when I decided. 448 mile. Yeah. On the oh. treadmill, though, so on the roads, that's probably about 20 seconds slower. But Again, most people, I think, on the mile, it's like, if if you're in, like, if you're an average person and you run, I would say what? If you run below eight, you're like, you're okay. So mm-hmm. you're literally half of that in the first time you tried it. So you obviously yeah. there was something there that was... Yeah, so I, I, I decided that there was uh, some potential there that maybe I should explore. Yeah. So I started running in August of 2016, truly training. Yeah. I ran a marathon at the beginning of 2017, and that was an hour and three minute PR for me wow. off just a few months of training. Wow. Um, so that's when I hired a coach and really got into it. So curious, the coach you hired, had he ever worked with amputee before? No, he had not. Okay. So tell me, obviously, there's things that everyone has to deal with, time commitment and aches and pains and just the overall determination to be able to train for marathons what other what other type things did you have to deal with being um either i think i read here you talked about like is it the compression or like the rubbing on you get a lot of like open sores from the prosthetics what are some things that you deal with as you're training that you know someone that might not have to deal with that's uh, has two regular legs so to speak mm-hmm. marathon training for any individual, can be life-consuming if you're shooting for a personal record. Mm-hmm. Um, as an amputee, I'm much more likely to have overuse injuries, mm-hmm. specifically for me and my hips. Mm-hmm. Um, I was coming from basically avoiding any sort of cardio or, or uh, walking of any sort for most of my life mm-hmm. to trying to run marathons. So my hips, even now after a few years, are still developing and getting stronger. Mm-hmm. Um on top of the overuse injuries, um, the prosthetics can cause lots of chafing and rubbing, um, which causes blistering and open sores. So to make sure that those are constantly adjusted by the prosthetist can be t- quite time consuming on top of just your daily training. Um, to combat that, I've, I, I kind of follow a more unique marathon training plan. I I do a lot of cross training. I still ride the bike a lot. I still swim. I still do all of my old lifting exercises. Mm -hmm. So I run lower mileage than most higher end marathoners would Mm -hmm. um, just to keep the pressure off my legs and keep them feeling okay. We usually up the intensity on each individual run. And for recovery, instead of doing recovery miles, we'll do recovery bike rides, recovery swims. Got it. Interesting. Now, as far as, um, is it official, unofficial? 
world record? Are we in that category? Tell tell us about that for for your times for your marathon. It, it's officially unofficial Got because it. the marathon is not a Paralympic sport for amputees. Huh? And why is that? Just hasn't been put through. No. Really. Um, in the past, there just hasn't been enough amputees to really fill a field. Yep. Um, you're talking about four or five of us worldwide that can run these speeds. Is that right? Yeah. There's there's almost no one because it's not in the Paralympics. Got it. There's there's not much incentive. Sure. Okay. For amputees to go out there and figure out what works for their body and to put in the training hours. So you hold the unofficial, I'm saying in quotes, official marathon time record in the world. It was just recently broken by another amputee. Is that right? Where is he or she located? Um, he lives in Florida, but he's a Kenyan. Wow. And uh, he was an elite. He was an elite athlete before he lost his legs. Got it. Okay. Um, and so, what was his time? He ran two forty two. So that's that's in your what about three o two at this point three o one. Correct. Yeah. Um, I was on pace in Chicago to run in the low 250s and tripped at mile 22 and fell and got a concussion. Seriously? Yep. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, so you're in that ballpark then? Yeah, so he's he's not hugely ahead of me. Got it. Um, I think he's probably faster than two hours and 42 minutes. Right. Um, but I have to remember I am less than three years into the sport. Yeah. And he is in decades of the sport. Right. So. I, have, I have so many questions right now. First one, <laughs> first one is... Um, just for context, and I don't even know this answer, an average Joe that qualifies for the marathon that's like a mediocre runner, what would their, roughly, if they finish in what type of time? I believe that the average male in the United States is somewhere in the four hours and 15 minutes okay. to four hours and 30 minutes. Got it. So what, and then what's your pace like on average? like four hours and 45 minutes. Got it. What so is, that is roughly like a 10 to an 11 minute pace. And so what is your rough pace? And running a three-hour marathon for a three-hour marathon it is i believe a 658 pace got it okay yeah so you're you're moving and shaking there all right so then the whole that talking about the the gentleman the kenyan who was able-bodied is that an advantage or a disadvantage for him that he was able-bodied for as long as he was well i for me and my thought process there's no direct uh science that says this as far as i know but from what I think, is my legs are very delicate. When I was young, I got amputated when I was younger, so I had child's muscles. They weren't developed. Right. And because I was sick, I lost a lot of tissue, so my legs are all bone. Got it. He was amputated in his mid to late 20s mm-hmm. and had been a runner for a decade or two. So his muscles were extremely well developed, and his tissue wasn't ravaged by disease. So when they amputated him, yeah, they were able to wrap his leg very nicely, right, in all of the excess muscle, right. So he doesn't have the same types of um, chafing issues and mm. um, bone issues with the tibia and fibula. Got it. Um, so at least in my line of thought, that gives him an advantage as far as he can run more of a marathon-based mileage. Yeah. Are you, are, do you guys have any plans where you're going to be in the same race? Um, so we were in the same race back in October out in San Diego. It was a 10-mile race. And mm-hmm. then next year, we will probably both be at the starting line of the Boston Marathon. They just announced this year that they're going to have an elite para-athlete division. So that's cool, right? So, yeah. So we're, there'll be a few of 
a few amputees that will be there actually racing against each other really for the first time Interesting. in a long distance type event. Huh. And, and so what has been, I didn't even realize this in the last recent time, it's just that this becoming more popular for the marathon because more people are doing it. Um, I think that there's been a big push in equality everywhere. Yeah. And you know, it's decades ago, so people don't really remember it, but this is how wheelchair racing started. The Boston marathon actually made an elite, wheelchair racing category and it was the first world major to do so and this was back in the 1980s i think and fast forward a few decades and it's a staple in every single world major marathon they cover them the same way that they cover any other elite racer so i think that this step helps with recognition and it will help make more amputees realize that this is an actual possibility right. there's plenty of amputees that run there's just very few that run distance at a high level do you expect in three four olympics from now that it's an olympic sport or a paralympic yes i could see it becoming that as as there's more and more amputees that can run faster in competitive times i i think that there's no doubt that it will eventually become a paralympic sport so it is a Paralympic sport. They have the wheelchair racing yeah. for the marathon, and I believe that they have um, the marathon for visually impaired athletes as mm. well. Mm -hmm. um, it just hasn't trickled down to amputees yet. On the track, at least, they're, they don't have long distance for amputees. They don't have anything past the 400 meters because you have to stay in your lane. They're worried that when you are allowed to leave your lanes in the 800, the 1500 meter, that our blades are going to clip together at least for below the knee amputees we run exactly the same as anyone else does right um our legs move in the same pattern we have a knee bend right i i think the only issue on the track is when you include above the knee amputees they have to circumduct their legs out so their stride is wider rather than longer i got it i know what um, you're with that but i think as more people begin to do it and technology advances more, we're just we're going to see longer distances start to become a thing because not every person wants to get on the track and sprint. How does that work now if, if they start doing events? Do they say, all right, we have somebody that's a single leg amputee versus below the knee versus is that different races? How, how would that work? I am not 100% sure how they do it at the Paralympic level. Mm-hmm. Um, they do have different races, but I don't know what happens if there's not enough um, competitors to fill a category. Got it. So, yes, they do have above-the-knee category, below-the-knee category, arm amputee category. But if only one of each of those shows up, I'm not sure if they put them all together or not. Got it. Um, unfortunately, he's gone, I guess, to jail now. But back, the original guy with the blade, run, Oscar, Oscar Pistorius. Is it totally, I mean, I remember people talking about debating on TV whether it was almost an advantage that he had prosthetic legs. And you're, you're, you live this world. I would think there could be absolutely no way it could be an advantage, right? No, there's no way there's, there's an advantage to it. If there was, you'd see all the top sprinters getting amputations <laughs> and running faster. Yeah, I would assume so. Right? Um, unless we see this Ken Kenyan gentleman whose name is uh, Marco Cicetto. Yeah. If we see him go and run a two-hour marathon, maybe I'll believe it then. Yeah. But we're missing muscles. We're missing joint rotation. Our hips have to work harder. Yeah. Every muscle has to work harder. Right. 
I guess there could be a point where technology is able to assist mm -hmm. more and more in the bionic type world. But I would think that just like regular Olympics, bionics is not allowed in the regular Olympics. You can't have something that's helping your leg move forward. Right. So yeah. I don't see it ever moving to a point in the Paralympics or in high level competition where that would be a question. Gotcha. I see. Now, right now, you have your blades on, and you're wearing sneakers with them. When you run, do you wear sneakers? So these are actually, it's kind of a trick. It does look like a blade, but it's um, not a running blade. Okay. It's just a high-activity foot. Got it. So it's a little bit lighter. I do sacrifice some mobility yeah. in the ankle. It only uh, flexes forward and backwards instead of sideways like a lot of ankles do. But sure. For me personally, I just I enjoy the lighter weight foot. Yeah. Um, it means if I have to run after my kids in the yard or to stop them going out into the street, I can. Yep. Um, so I'm willing to sacrifice that, but a lot of amputees choose to have a full ankle rotation foot. Got it. My blades, I would not run in in shoes. They have um, tire treads on the bottom of them. Got it. So it's basically just uh, it's like it would be the same as changing out your shoes when they have too many miles on them i peel the rubber off and put on the new yeah the new tire treads you mentioned that part of you you do a lot of cross training already have you considered uh triathlons yeah i am still drowning slowly in the swim <laughs> well, <laughs> hannah right here was a college division one swimmer so i think you found your swim coach right i yeah we, we were talking about it okay uh, there you go i go to lifetime as well there, so. oh wow all right but might I'm getting I'm getting there. I'm up to about 1,250 meters at a time. Okay. Swim. I just can't get rid of the pull buoy between my legs. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah, I think you could help with that, right? Yeah. All right. So we'll maybe we'll try to get that going. Would you? That would be something you'd want to do, though. Yeah, I was. It seems so, like it would almost help your body. Based on what you're saying, it would almost be easier on the body because it'd be a little. I mean, obviously, if you did in something crazy distance, but you already do it for cross training as is, right? Mm-hmm. So for like yeah, sprint, they, like a so they do a have the para triathlon. Yeah, um, and it is divided into categories based on your disability level. Mm -hmm. So I forget if there's four or five categories in the para triathlon. Yep. Um, but it is the the lower your number, the more impacted you are by disability. So I believe it starts with P one, which is wheelchair racers. Mm -hmm. And then P2 is double amputations and above the knee amputations. And P3 is a single below the knee and P4 is arm amputees. And for Tokyo, they're only taking the P3 and P4 categories hmm. because they're trying to develop them more. The, the P1 and the P2 categories already have lots of athletes in them and it's relatively competitive. They were at the Rio Paralympics. So my goal was originally to be at Tokyo yeah. in 2020 yeah, because most amputees are very good swimmers and poor runners. Mm -hmm. They were brought up, you know, saying you're never going to be a good runner because you're an amputee. So they go to the pool instead. Um, whereas I've never swam before last September. Right. Um, so my goal originally was to go to Tokyo next year, but I'm just not good enough at swimming. <laughs> so then that was my next question to what is the, the, you know, year to two to three year plan here? What's the goals? Ideally I would be competitive enough in 2024 for the Paralympics and the triathlon. Uh -huh. I don't see there being a, 
a Paralympic marathon in the time frame that I'm still competing well. Got it. I'd say, you know, we're 15 to 20 years away from something like that. What about, I could be completely wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But Yeah. What about just as far as New York City, Boston, the bigger <laughs> marathons? Are those those ones you're all – are you training now for those? Um, so I would definitely love to run all six world major marathons. So far, I've run Chicago and London. Mm-hmm. Um, assuming the training goes well, I'll be at the starting line of Boston next year. Mm-hmm. Um, be- leading into Boston a little bit closer. I haven't definitively picked a fall marathon yet, but I'm thinking about the California International Marathon. It's in December. Mm-hmm. It's a very fast course. It's not a world major, but yeah it it would give me the opportunity to try and run as fast as i possibly could whereas boston's a much more difficult course to run and so for you uh i mean the way you were talking before you're talking obviously sub three barring not falling right i i think if i have uh a good training block up until the marathon in december um I have the potential to go even faster than I was going mm-hmm. in Chicago when I fell. I think that I could p- put myself in a much more competitive place in the 245 range. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would narrow the gap a little bit be- between me and Marco before we're both on the starting line together. Yep. Um, I'm working with a coach. I just started working with him back in December. He's a triathlon-based coach. Mm-hmm. So he's able to vary my training a lot more than just a strict running coach would right and we've been seeing a lot of improvements in my times off of very little running overall yeah um i set the world record in the half marathon and then i've pr'd in some other distances as well off of almost no running and now we're starting to add more and more running volume as well so yeah it's interesting you say that because you know for us with our patients at the office we always find that the runners love to run and we try as best we can, especially the distance ones, to get them in the gym to do other things, cross training. You know, tell them like, you know, if you can do this better, if you get stronger, you already had that background and you did it. So I think it probably helped. I mean, we, uh, one of the things I've seen, one of the things I've seen with our cross country runners, specifically the high school guys, is they always get sick because they can't keep weight on. They they're generally very weak. And, you know, it's, it's a, and that we could just get them in the gym. I always think if you're running six, seven days a week, six days a week, if we took away one or two of those days and had you doing something else, would their running improve? I think you're, you're telling me it already, for you, it probably has, and it would probably save a lot of injuries. And that kind of segues into, you know, what you do for, for a living managing the running store. But Mm -hmm. that's kind of one of your jobs there is to, is to do what you can from a footwear perspective and, uh, you know, get people either in the right shoes and try to prevent or, or aid in them, you know, recovering from injury, correct? Yeah, that's, that's right. I, so my coaches have the opposite problem with me. They have to get me out of the gym. Um, yeah. They've limited me to two days a week now. Cause I was, I was on a solid four to five day a week plan. Yeah. Um, but I would say that I see the same thing in the sneaker factory where I work. You get runners that only want to run. I understand that. I love running. I love being outside. There's nothing like it. Yeah. But I take those days off from running and train just as effectively. Yeah. And it, it allows me to run even better than what I was doing before. I've always cross-trained, but now I'm cross-training with purpose with this new coach. Yeah. 
and it's made me far stronger. Mm-hmm. I ran the New York City half back in March, and I ran one hour and 19 minutes, which is a 6.05 pace, I yeah. think. And I did that off of no running. That was only biking Crazy. for the first three months of the year. That's wild. So it does work if you do it purposefully, and it's hard to make other people see that or believe sure. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk to me about... Um... Talk to me about your process at Sneaker Factory. Uh, most people, they want to start running, they go online, they, they're size 9, they buy a size 9, they just go. How do what you guys do there from a shoe fitting perspective, how does that differ from that process? So unless you know exactly what you're looking for and you've been fitted before, it's really hard to just go online or go to a big box store and buy a shoe. Um, your, your foot is your foundation. If it's not properly fitted injuries are just going to happen. There's nothing you can really do about it unless you're extremely genetically gifted. Sure. Um, So at my store, we have um, a 3D camera and a scanner. So it allows us to see your ankle position, your pressure points, your arches. And using that plus watching you walk in the store, we're able to distinguish whether you need a neutral shoe or a stability shoe. And by talking over what your goals are, your activities. Is it every day? Are you training for a marathon, an ultra? Do you want to go to the gym with it? Um, it really allows us to bring out a shoe that's much more fitted to you right? rather than just that shoe looks nice. Right, yeah. Um, and it definitely helps decrease injuries and foot problems and knee problems by making sure that you have that correct fit. Yeah, I think... It's something that, you know, we don't give enough. The problem with running in general is that it's there's, the barrier of entry is literally nothing. You get a pair of sneakers and you go. But people don't realize that, like, you know, from a technique perspective, from an equipment perspective, from a dosage, a mileage perspective, all of those things factor in. If you think about what running is, it's literally hopping from one foot to the other repeatedly for hours on end. Twelve times your body weight every step. <laughs> every step. And then if you don't have a proper base of support from a strength perspective or from a equipment perspective, or you know you, you don't have the biomechanics like an, an injury is just inevitable and it's and and the thing with running is it's it's not like i got hit by a truck right you just get hit and then you're out it's usually like ah, oh, my foot hurts today and then the next day it's a little worse and then it gets a little worse and the next day you can't walk and so it's these accumulated like you talked about before that cumulative trauma type injuries that happen mm-hmm. over it just builds over days weeks months yeah. and then it takes that amount of time to get rid of as well right and I think what a lot of people don't realize is the big box stores, whether it's Dick's or if you're buying your shoes at Sears or anywhere else, is every single brand that sells a running shoe also sells lesser quality shoes to these big box stores. So even though it says Nike Run on it, it's not the same Nike Run or New Balance Run that we sell in the store. I didn't even tell me about that. I didn't even know that. So every single brand, it's not just a Nike thing or a New Balance thing. They do sell cheaper shoes to all of these big box stores. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why they're $60 and ours are 120 plus. Sure. It's because the cushioning in them is of an inferior quality. Got it. And the ones that they sell to us, I wouldn't say exclusively, you know, Dick's will get some of the models, but... In general, the only shoes that that we have coming in from these companies is their up is their higher end mm-hmm. models. So there's a reason why you're paying 120 versus 60. Sure, it's cushioning that's much higher quality, right? Than what you're going to get in those stores. And a lot of the companies 
sell models exclusively to, to running stores only. Got it. Yeah. So you can't actually get some of the nicer models at the big box stores. Huh. Um, what did someone said once? You spend the most time on your back in your bed and on your feet. So you probably should spend a little bit of money on your bed and on your shoes. You know, exactly. Spend a lot of time on both of those. So we might as well invest in those things, right? Yeah, I know it sounds like sticker shock when a pair of shoes costs 120 or 150 dollars. Yeah, but it's much better than spending double, triple, quadruple that at the doctor trying to get the injury fixed. Is what I tell people. Yeah, that and also you buy the 60 dollar pair of sneakers that you wear a hole in them in two months. You're you're spending another 60, so you're already at that cost anyway. When if you were fitted right the first time, you might have only had to do it once. You know. Exactly. And the higher end shoes do last longer as well. Yeah. Unless you're training for a marathon or walking crazy distances, you're going to get at least six months out of them. Yeah. It's funny because everyone always asks me when they talk shoes, oh, do they have enough support? And my first thought is like, I don't even know if you need support. Maybe like you said, maybe you need less stability. Maybe you need a, uh, more of a stiffer shoe, but maybe you don't. You know? Support is such a catch word yeah. in the uh, running business for shoes. Everyone everyone comes in and wants a supportive shoe. Exactly. Yeah. What does that even mean? For, for somebody who actually needs a supportive shoe, it means that they don't have arches that they're pronating inwards. Right. But the amount of people that actually need that isn't very high. Yes, exactly. So the, the old running industry, you know, 70... 70s 80s 90s everybody put art arch support in mm -hmm. and now in a little bit more modern times we have the scanners and we can see the arch properly and we're not doing that as much anymore it's shifting back to a more neutral shoe right yeah and and as far as brands for you guys it's just it, you guys aren't specific at your store to one brand it's specific to the person right exactly unless somebody comes in and refuses to try on any other brands and they need nike or Saucony or new balance yeah um, i usually like to bring out at least four different brands for each person just because every single brand has a different type of cushioning mm -hmm. and it could be a brand you've never heard of before and their cushioning just feels right to you unlike nike might or new balance or right. any other brand awesome so we always try and bring out a variety just so you can see what's out there cool so i mean you guys out there listening if, if you are planning even starting to do some 5ks we have patients that in the summer they just like to get out and run some 5ks you know if you haven't been fitted or you know you're going to wear your your three-year-old pair of shoes you might want to spend time and and an effort to go out to the running store specifically if you're locally to us here basking ridge the sneaker factory and uh and at least do an assessment right get on the treadmill get assessed and see what they have to say Yep, the assessment's free for everybody that wants it. Cool. Um, one more thing before we go. Um, Hannah, just show me. So what we're doing on July 20th uh, in partnership with the Sneaker Factory at Mountain Park in Basking Ridge, we're doing 8 a.m. a group run. And so before everyone freaks out about a group run because you can't run 20 miles, we are, it's for all levels. So whether you want to run one mile for 10, 20, 30 minutes or you want to run for an hour there's going to be different groups uh we're hoping to get some sponsors out there but we're hoping to see some people out there who want to run run in a group so it's not so boring uh but even if you're not a runner even if you're not a runner um we want you to come out we are also brian just informed me you can come and walk as well so even if you just want to walk we want to bring people out get you together um and you know, we want to see out there. So that's going to be 8 a.m. on July 20th at Mountain Park in Basking Ridge. All ages, all 
running ability levels. That's most people's biggest fear that if they're not running a sub three marathon, they shouldn't show up. You can show up even if you're running a 15 minute mile. So we want you to come. Yeah. Like Hannah, she'll run the, so Hannah, you can run the 15 minute mile and you can teach Brian how to swim properly. And if you guys combine, you'll, you'll win, you'll win the Olympics. So Brian, um, anything else? What's your social media? On Instagram, it's Brian Reynolds runner. And how do you spell it? It's R E Y, right? Or R. Yeah, on Instagram, it's Brian Reynolds Runner, B R I A N R E Y N O L D S. Got it. And so you post, um, I, I was checking out your Instagram, so you kind of post your runs and, and the different things that you're doing, which is pretty interesting. So definitely give uh, Brian a follow on Instagram for that. So, Brian, I mean, this was fantastic. I uh, We started this thing because we wanted to interview local businesses, and then we got to meet someone like you who has an amazing story. So uh, we really appreciate it. I've, I've enjoyed talking to you. Thanks. I really appreciate you having me. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast brought to you by Strive to Move. If your pain or injury is preventing you from living the healthy and active lifestyle you love and deserve and want to get back to doing what you love pain-free, we offer both a free ebook and free over-the-phone consultation to help you figure out the root cause of your pain and the best next steps to help resolve it. Find our ebooks online at strivetomove.com slash our services. There you'll find an ebook for topics on such things as back pain, knee pain, sports injuries, and CrossFit injuries. These ebooks will provide you with free expert advice, tips, and exercises to help solve your pain from the comfort of your own home. Just visit strivetomove.com slash our services to download your ebook and have it delivered directly to your inbox. We also offer free, no obligation phone consults with a doctor on staff to New Jersey residents. Just call us at 908-547-0729 or visit us at strivetomove.com and click the talk to the doctor first button on the homepage to schedule a call with us. Thanks again for joining us and we will see you next time on the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast.